Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast, where we're going to talk about some games. Well, we're going to talk about at least one, which is 20 Strong. 20 Strong from Chip Theory, which is hopefully delivering soon, but they sent us an early uh, prototype-ish copy, although it's pretty much uh, like the final product. And then afterward, we're going to have a design discussion on having a base game with modulars and just different ways to do this and different ways to like expand a game and uh, our thoughts on each of them. Yeah, lots of release structure discussion. Uh, But first, uh, let's thank some of our amazing patrons. We have a Patreon, if you don't know, patreon.com slash one stop. And yeah, you can go over there and you can see a ton of (laughs) bonus videos. I think I have like 80 up there now. And I've started actually doing a bonus playthrough. So hey, if you like 20 Strong, there is an entirely exclusive 20 Strong playthrough over there showing off the uh, Too Many Bones set this time because I already did a video on the main channel with uh, uh, the Solar Sentinel set. So, uh, yeah, if you want to support us, we would love the support. It helps us uh, buy games, buy equipment, all that kind of stuff. And I want to thank a few of our supporters uh, tonight. BD8890, Raindrop, Biagi Banco Calicia, Brett Hecking, and Carlo Doristein. I'm sure I did awesome with all those names, but... You're a linguistical master. Yes, I, 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 I never pronounce anything wrong. <laughs> so, yes, thanks to everybody. And hey, if Patreon's uh, not in your budget currently... You know, we still appreciate uh, subscribing to the YouTube channel, subscribing to the podcast, uh, leaving a review for us wherever you're listening to the podcast. That makes a huge difference. And we just appreciate uh, all of you. And hey, come uh, talk on our Discord. You can say hi. We can recommend games. Lots of fun over there, too. Absolutely. So let's quickly talk about what we've been playing. And the number one thing I want to talk about is a game you, Jerry, and I played. It is not solo or co-op, but it is one of your new favorite games, I know, which is Heat. Oh, do we play Heat? Oh, that's right. We did play Heat because uh, Heat is on BGA now, Board Game Arena. And yep. yeah, I somehow got P- Peter and Jerry never want to play racing games with me. So <laughs> how do you Stop. feel about it this time, Peter? I love Heat. I, I've always liked Heat. It is not a game that I don't want to play. Jerry's the one that's always anti playing racing games, but he destroyed us in this game. Yeah. And then I think an AI came in second and then it was me, then you. Yes, I was definitely last, but you know, I think I I, I crushed you both in uh, what is it? Uh, it's it's a wonderful world. I crushed you both in it's a wonderful world two games in a row. So I felt uh, you know, my comeuppance uh, there. I guess I should quickly mention that uh, I do now like it's a wonderful world. I can't remember if we reviewed that in the past, but I was definitely cooler on it the first time I played it. But that game has definitely grown a lot on me. So uh, there you go. There's a two for one. But Heat, no, super fun racing game. I really like the strategic thinking in it. It's a game that a lot of racing games feel slow to me, like even games like uh formula d where you're rolling dice and you have all these different dice i still feel like you're counting out like 50 spaces before you make your decisions in this one i feel like you're just playing cards and it all happens pretty quickly and naturally Uh, especially on board game arena where it like counts out the spaces for you where you don't even have to really think about it too much uh it even tells you like what kind of damage you're in store for if you like do what your plan is now there's obviously some some randomness with card flips and stuff like that but uh heat is definitely moved to the top of maybe my favorite racing game of all time i like automobiles too which is one you haven't played yet i've heard good things about it yeah i would say heat's also my number one at this point i mean i I have such a a bad taste in my mouth from rally man 
and uh, <laughs> spending over like $150 on their crowdfunding campaign for Rallyman Dirt and then getting nothing. So yeah, I, th- I think that's enough to make Heat my undisputed racing champion at the moment. Well, and between the different tracks and the different upgrades you draft at the beginning of each race, like each race does feel very different from each other, even though you're basically doing the same things. I, I don't know. It, for me, the, just the strategy of getting into the corners and shifting up and shifting down and trying to manage that heat and every game, it's a different puzzle. I don't know. I really enjoyed that one. Oh, yeah. And for our audience specifically, there is no better solo racing game than Heat. <laughs> I would I would argue that strongly with anybody. Well, yes. No, automobiles is not an option. So <laughs> I will uh, I will concur with you on that one. All right, yeah, and I'll throw out one that uh, actually we just played one of them today. Uh, so I I'm not sure of the entire picture. I still have to to look this up. But Asmodee sent us uh, review copies of six new unlock sets. If you don't know Unlock, these are from, I think, Space Cowboys. This is a long-running, uh, app-enabled escape room, like, deck of cards series that Peter and I love. I think it's one of probably our top 10 or 15 games. Peter, would you say that's true for you? Oh, absolutely. It's definitely my favorite escape room game. And, yeah, in yeah. my top 10, for sure. Maybe even top five. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it could be up there for me, too. Yeah, so uh, it's a favorite. So they had, like, these six new ones, and we got all of them. I think they were retailing for, like, $10 each. Um, but somebody, I, I think Purple Moose, who has an awesome uh, YouTube channel as well, go check him out. Uh, Purple Moose was saying on our Discord that he thinks these are reworkings of print and play escape rooms they released because he said some of them looked familiar, like to ones that he had printed and played. But they they say right on the box like something like reworked or remastered or something. So I think they like added to them and there, and certainly there was a ton of in the two we've played out of six so far. There was a ton of really cool app functionality. And I'm like, I can't imagine they had this in a printed play. Like this was crazy. So yeah, I, I'm not. I, I need I need to do a little more research about like where these came from. But either way, I'll be doing. I think I'm going to do uh, actually speaking of Patreon, I'm going to do a Patreon exclusive uh, playthrough of one of them to see y'all can see me fumbling like I'm an idiot. <laughs> and then I'm going nice. to do like a little like ranking review uh, video on the main channel. That's right. I got. Uh, yeah, we should probably talk about like what, what's happened on the YouTube channel for people who aren't there. But l- let me finish up this point first. But yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll do like a ranking of the six sets on the YouTube channel once my family and I finish uh, playing them all. We've again done two out of six. But yeah, I love Unlock. More Unlock is always good. Uh, what's something else you've been playing, Peter? So the one that you have not played yet uh, is Deliverance, which is a dungeon crawl-esque type game where you are angels fighting against demons. And you, you know, it is a campaign-based game. I have not played the campaign because they do have a skirmish mode as well. And I've just been playing through that and I'm really enjoying it. Even they have a way you could play solo, but it would be easy enough to control two angels as well. It is mostly card based. So there's not like even much randomness in the game. You are basically choosing actions that you have on your player board. And as you level up, it's actually not card based because as you level up, you get cards, (laughs) you get like skill cards, but most of it's just like stuff that's printed on your your player board, or you do draw prayer cards and things like that, that will certainly affect your strategy for the game as you're using your skills. But most of it is deterministic, which I didn't know if I was going to like, and I still don't know that I'll love it long-term, but I've had a lot of fun with it, playing it as a one-off so far in the uh, skirmish mode. Yeah, I do want to play that with you at some point. Uh, I know we, we got the review copy to do like a podcast or something on it, so we'll see what happens. So I'll, I'll throw out uh, two real quick. I know that's cheating. I'm supposed to only say one, but neither of these I've played quite enough yet to like say a ton about. So I got a review copy of uh, Resident Evil 1, 
which is the latest in the Steamforge games Resident Evil series. They uh, did two and three, and now they did one, and I think they've officially announced they're going to be doing Resident Evil 4. And it's pretty much the same system as Resident Evil 3, which I don't mind at all, because I really like that system, uh, both the way they did the campaign and like the core gameplay loop. But the big difference is now they have a, a, a sense of exploration in that uh, you'll only have part of the map set up, and then like as you move through kind of dungeon crawler fashion, you'll put out more stuff, and there will be enemies you didn't know were there, and you won't know like which direction to go, which I'm, I'm sure could be frustrating for people because like you have to stop and set up stuff in the middle of play, and you might like go the wrong way and that kind of stuff. But so far, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I definitely have a more... Did you ever play Resident Evil, Peter? Because I was going to say, I have, I have a much more like emotional connection to Resident Evil 1 than Resident Evil 3. Uh, like 1, 2, and 4 are the tops of that series for my uh, money. I, I don't know if you've played any Resident Evil games, Peter. You're not much of like a horror survival guy, are you? I'm not. I do think I've played some, but I don't remember which ones. And honestly, I don't remember much about them. I did play the board game, though, for Resident Evil Two or three. I no, no, you, you played one. You played the exact same one that I got the review copy of. You played an early version of it. That was the first I heard about it. Okay, yeah. So I ended up playing with the designer on the One Stop Club Shop streaming channel, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but <laughs> uh, I, I did play that over there, and I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It kind of reminded me of Zombicide, if I remember. It's been a while since I played yes, it. Yeah, no, it's, it's very Zombicide-ish, except uh, it's got a lot of like ammo management you can't kill all the enemies, so it's got a lot of like dodging and running away. And I just really, really enjoy it. I'm trying to get my son to like it more. He kind of like kind of likes it, <laughs> but like I'm trying to get him to play the campaign with me, and and you know he'd just rather go back and play uh, probably uh, more Red Dragon in uh, Dungeon Crawler. Well, yeah, I mean I can't blame him for that. Well, yes, but... yes, that, that, that is certainly a better game. Don't get me wrong, but I also like Resident Evil, you know. <laughs> and the other yes. one I'll mention, I'm literally I, I played my first game of this last night after going through all the tutorials because it's a very complex war game. Uh, is Atlantic Chase from GMT. Uh, we got a review copy of that as well. That's a, uh, it's a 1v1 or solo. And the solo is really smooth so far. I really like how they did the solo. But it's um, about uh, the sea and like submarine warfare uh, in World War II, in the Atlantic specifically. And it's got some really interesting mechanics, like where you're kind of, you don't know exactly where your ships are. You kind of have like these like tracks, like their trajectory in the ocean but they could be like anywhere around there and you can like use actions to like nail down their exact position. The combat's quick, but fun. So, so far I'm really digging it. It's definitely like living in my brain a lot and I want to play more, but uh, I need to dig into it and see how smoothly it goes. Once I uh, play more scenarios. Now you said it's solo series, right? So it's, it's a one V one or solo. So you get it's, it's one player is the Germans. One player is the British, or there's a ton of solo scenarios. Like they really, the solo is not tacked on. There's like probably 20, 22 different solo scenarios. Some you're playing as the Germans, some you're playing as the British. And yeah, it's, it's a pretty smooth system from what I've seen so far. I mean, I feel like I would like a game like that because it's tactical combat warfare stuff. But some of those games get too granular for me. And so that's what I always worry about with yeah, games. I, I want to try to teach it to you and see how you do with it. But we'll, we'll see if that happens. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so let's let, let's uh, talk briefly about the state of one stop co-op shop and who is who. Because I think uh, if people haven't kept up with some of the uh, recent uh, videos and things. You might be confused. So I'll just kind of summarize in brief. And, and by the way, there's no like, <laughs> there's no animosity in any of this, just to be clear. Like, there's just people making decisions that made sense for them, things that they wanted to try out. We're all still friends. We're all still going to like collaborate with each other. But here is how things uh, stand at the moment. 
So One Stop Co-op Shop, the podcast and the YouTube channel. There's only one YouTube channel now, the like original main YouTube channel. And that is me. Uh, I'm doing most of the videos on the YouTube channel. Jason's doing a video once a week. Peter's going to pop in like he has for like Marvel Champions and other stuff every once in a while. So that's the YouTube channel. It's just me, Jason, and Peter. And the podcast has just been me, Jason, and Peter for a while now. But it, it will continue to be just me, Jason, and Peter. But honestly, I'll talk a little bit about this since it is the podcast. It's going to be less frequent than what you've heard in the past. Mike and I will not be on any less frequently. We're still going to be every other week. But I know Jason was doing every other week, and sometimes it would be Steve. And even for a while there, we were doing Wednesday podcasts, so it had gotten to be a lot of content. But we're basically going back to old school, Mike and I every other week. When Jason has something to say, a new game to review, he's going to throw it in there. But he's not going to be regular at all. Maybe once a month, if that. Oh, okay, I knew I know you uh, two had been talking about that, but I didn't know that that was like the final decision. So yeah, so that's that's how things kind of stand there. So where did people go? Uh, the only other person that was on the main channel was Colin. If you didn't see his video, he had a whole video on the channel explaining. But he, since he lives right by Barrington, they've been playing a ton anyway. He's just uh, he moved over to meet me at the table, and Barrington's gonna be doing his same awesome videos there. And now Colin's doing. He already has some Colin style videos. They don't necessarily look any different, except they have a different uh, name. <laughs> they're, they're over at meet me at the table. Uh, it's not going to change anything much, you know, for the last while Colin had only been doing one video every two to three weeks on the channel. So we love Colin. I, I, I miss his videos. Don't get me wrong. And I, I miss uh, talking to him more, but yes, yeah, it's, it's not changing anything. None of the existing Colin videos are going away, but uh, you can still see awesome Colin stuff and Baron uh, energy exuberance over on Meet Me at the Table, one of our friend uh, YouTube channels. And then uh, the other big one, this is a more recent announcement. Um, there's a video on the channel that was formerly the One Stop Co-op Shop streamed. And uh, Steve and Kim, who created that channel along with Peter, have uh, rebranded it as the Co-op Guild. They have an awesome new logo. I'm kind of jealous of their logo. <laughs> and uh, they're doing pretty much the same stuff they've always done. Awesome streams, interviews, reviews, co-op chats but they're going to add some uh, pre-recorded content as well. Now that they're not like specifically a streamed channel, like offshoot of us. So again, not really going to change much. I think they're covering the same kind of games. They always have uh, the same great uh, guests like uh, Kanji from Kanji studios and others will be on there. Uh, Peter won't be on there because he's focusing on the one stop co-op shop uh, main channel and podcast. And of course all our game <laughs> design stuff that we're doing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's where my focus is now. And that's part of the reason we did all this was because of our game coming out. We kind of had to separate the finances between One Stop Co-op Shop and between MVP board games. And it was just a just a natural time for people to do what they had kind of shifted toward doing anyway. We were kind of very, you know, separate in a lot of ways, even though we were all, you know, part of the same family. And I still feel like that hasn't changed at all. We're all still doing our own kind of separate things and we're all still part of the same family. So even though we're not under the same name, we're still like hanging out, talking with them. They're still in the discord. Like there's, a, there's a lot of things that haven't changed. Just the name of the channels that they're on, you know, have changed. Um, but for me, if you've seen any of my streaming content lately, it just, my audio went, I, I had to get a new computer at one point and everything just went to heck in a handbag and uh, <laughs> best way I could describe it. Like it's just awful. And so I, it just wasn't working out. I was spending way too much time trying to figure it out. And, you know, it was the 
the kind of thing where I'm really starting to enjoy this publishing thing. So I'm focusing my attention more there. So that's why you won't get as much of me. But who knows, now that I have more free time, I've realized that I can start recording some videos. So you may even start seeing some more solo plays of Euros. I know I promised this a while ago on the main channel. So that's my goal going forward is to not just put out Marvel Champion stuff, but maybe get some solo Euro games out there as well. Because I know that's, you know, not either you or Jason's favorite thing. Not it's 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 actually I've, I've played some really good ones recently, though, interestingly enough. <laughs> but yes, uh, often solo Euros are not my favorite thing. Uh, yeah, so that that's kind of where things stand. Again, it shouldn't necessarily... I mean, it won't change anything on the podcast, except like Peter said, we might have slightly different release schedules sometimes. It's basically changing nothing on the main YouTube channel. It's basically playing, changing nothing on the streaming channel, except for yeah, the name. Yeah, it just has a different name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, really, like, almost nothing has changed, and we are all still friends. But yeah, like Peter said, it was a lot of, like, financial wackiness. Whenever money's involved in stuff, things get complicated, so... That is that, but way more than enough uh, preamble. Let's get to our actual main review and talk about 20 Strong. All right, so I will go through the theme, and the theme is whatever the theme for the set wants to be. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, what are you going to say for that one, Peter? <laughs> so there is one based on Too Many Bones that feels a little bit like Too Many Bones. They definitely steal some mechanics from it. There is one for... Uh, Hoplomachus Victorum, which steals some mechanics from that. And then there's the Solo Sentinel... No. Why do I keep saying that? This just popped in my head over and over. What's the first one called? I think it is Solar Sentinels, isn't it? Oh, okay. Yes. So there's the- Is there something else called Solar Sentinels? I'm not aware of. I think there is. Isn't there I'm looking it up now. Hold on. Keep talking. Keep talking. I feel like there's something else Solo Sentinels. That's why it's throwing myself off. I thought that was like a thing. All right. The the top like 30 Solar Sentinels results I see are 20 strong. I I think that is it. Okay, so Solo Sentinels, which is a kind of a sci-fi theme that doesn't match any of the other chip theory stuff, at least to date, but it is uh, it is their other themed expansion. So you're going to play each of these expansions as single games. Now, you can transfer some characters from one to the other, but beside that, when you're playing 20 Strong, you're going to play whatever set you want to play. So if you're playing Too Many Bones, you're going to be playing Too Many Bones that uh, scenario and most of the stuff comes out of there really it's just the dice and the there's like this little spinner counter thing are the only things that you're really and, and the main rules of course are the only things you're using that aren't too many bones specific or which, whichever set specific whichever set you're playing right correct yep and uh in terms of the mechanics basically so the 20 strong name comes from the 20 dice that you're using and three of them are tracking your stats your health your strategy, which is how many items you can hold and how many times you can re-roll your dice in a Yahtzee-ish mechanic. And, uh, well, not Yahtzee, you're not, like, going for combinations, but, like, just the whole, like, roll, keep kind of mechanic thing. And then uh, your third stat is recover, which is how many dice you get back. And basically, each of the uh, sets handles it slightly differently, but you'll be going into combat with enemies. They will have health, they will have special powers. You roll as many dice as you want out of the 17, like, combat unit dice that you want, and uh, you're trying to get hits, assign those hits to enemies to kill them. Uh, killing the enemies will level you up, will get you items you can use for different things. But the dice you use get exhausted, and you can only recover as many as your recover stat after each battle. So you have to try to find that that fine line of leveling up, uh, spending your dice to win, and then getting them back. And in all the uh, three that they've at least released so far, which are the first three that are coming into Kickstarter, I'm sure they're going to take the game further than this. But in the three that they have so far, you got to kill a boss at the end. 
kill the boss, you win. Now, there's a lot of variations, again, on how all that stuff happens between the Solar Sentinels, uh, Too Many Bones, and Hoppo Victorum sets. But that's like kind of the key aspect of the game and what you're going for. Yep. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you. What we do here is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is the least important, and going to number one, which we feel like is the most important. And uh, I will start with my number five because I do feel like it is probably the least important, and it is the components. I I don't know why. I keep going back to components when we're talking about games lately, but we've gotten some games with some really good components. I think just in general, the component quality is going up. And so they have these dice and it's different colors and the the red dice has hits on every side, but it has a critical on one of the sides. And then as you go down in colors, I think blue's the next color or maybe it's purple. Pur- purple, purple, blue, green, yellow, I think. Yeah, and the each each color you go down has one less hit on it, but they all have that critical side, which counts as a double hit. So the dice themselves were very nice, but the thing that stood out to me were the cards, which are all foil printed cards. They all have like different foiling and different spots on them, and they're thick, good quality. I don't know. Whenever I see nice cards, it really kind of makes my heart feel good. And and these are uh, Chip Theory Games has been using these in several games recently. These are their plastic cards, but like really nice, shuffleable quality plastic cards. Yeah, and again, the the foiling is what really stood out to me. Right, if there wasn't the foiling on the cards, I don't think I would have mentioned this as one of my points at all. But the foiling, I don't know. The more and more I see foiling lately, it just it makes stuff jump out to me. And like I said, it makes my heart happy. So yeah, when people see these cards, they're definitely going to stop and take notice. Yeah, and I will note if you like go and watch my play on the channel or the bonus play for the patrons, um, the dice like have some weird kind of settling where like the color is like mostly on one side of the die. That was just in the like pre-production set that they gave us for the review. Uh, my understanding is like the actual set that backers will be getting and that'll go into retail will not have that problem. So that was like the only weird uh, component thing that we had to deal with. All right, so my number five is a bit of a mix for me, and those are the heroes in the game. So each of the sets comes with its own group of like six to eight hero cards. Uh, They each have their own starting stats. They each have their own special ability. And then depending on the set, there might be some other stuff. So like uh, for Hoplo Victorum, each of the uh, heroes you can play as also has like sort of an evil version on the back that you might have to fight as a mini boss. In Too Many Bones, each of the heroes can flip by activating their innate plus one. Uh, just, you know, Too Many Bones style, if you know that game. Uh, so they flip to, like, a more powerful version of themselves. So that's really cool, like, the fact that you have all these different heroes. Uh, it's a mix for me, though, because uh, their powers are kind of hit or miss for me, the abilities they have. Some of them are super interesting and useful all the time. Some of them I found uh, very kind of... Uh, only usable in niche situations. They don't come up that often. So it doesn't like really feel that different playing one hero versus another. So that's a little bit of a mixed bag, but I still appreciate the variety in the heroes and uh, you get these items and things that do, I'll talk about those more in a second that like do increase the variety in your build from game to game a ton, but just the heroes by themselves are pretty good variety wise. But like in each set, there's several heroes and I'm just like, wow, I don't see why I'd ever want to play this one. Like it don't seem as interesting to me. Yes, there's definitely uh, stronger and weaker heroes, that is for sure. Uh, and, and some, like you said, that are just more and less interesting as well. I don't even know that it's always stronger or weaker. I think sometimes it's just more and less interesting. So my number four is quick combat. 
So basically, you are pulling down typically one enemy at a time. I guess it changes based on the game. Too many bones, it definitely could be much more than one. And in solo sentinels, it'll sometimes tell you to bring down additional enemies. But you're typically fighting one to however many enemies at a time. And basically, what you do is you roll as many dice as you want. You assign hits to different minions that are out in front of you. And you defeat them, removing them, and then removing those dice as well. Uh, And then you... Uh, continue to roll as many rerolls as you have. You can even add dice as you want as you do those rerolls to do more and more. The problem is, though, that dice is your limited resource. That, along with your health, are what are really limiting in the game, and you only get your recovery stat worth of dice back. So the more dice you use for a single combat, the less you're going to have for future combats. So, But each of those combats, again, it's just anywhere from one to five, six rolls of the dice, I guess, maximum. And that's it. You're rolling the dice, you're assigning it to enemies, you're killing the enemies, you're gaining rewards, and then you just keep doing that until you're out of rerolls. So it's a very quick combat system. And some of the games are quicker than others, but they're all fairly quick. And I'll get to that a little bit later. But um, actually, that isn't one of mine. So it, it makes the game feel quick overall for me because you're doing this one quick combat, you recover some dice, then you do another quick combat and you recover dice and then you do another quick combat and you just keep doing these quick combats over and over. So uh, it's a little bit of pro for me. It does get a little repetitive after a while. So I guess it's a little bit more of a mixed than just straight up pro, but um, the decisions are at least always interesting for which combat you want to do. And again, it resolves fairly quickly. Yeah, and actually my number four is is sort of connected to that in some ways. I call it the character progression, but it's a bit of a mix for me as well, uh, kind of how you level up and how you move through the game. And to start with the negative, because it's exactly what you just said, Peter, I do think there's uh, quite a bit of like repetition in the core kind of grind and scope of the game. Well, actually, let, let me let me give that a caveat, <laughs> a caveat to my negative. It, there's there's repetition within each game system. So like too many bones, pretty much every game in the first one, two, maybe three fights, I want to get my innate plus one because it flips you, gives you a better, better ability, levels up your stats. It seems dumb not to try for it really quickly. Speaking of dumb, I didn't do that my first like five games. And I'm like, Mike, why can't I beat That's this? Right. <laughs> He's like, how quickly are you flipping over? I'm like, I don't flip over. Like the ability doesn't seem much better on the other side. He's like, but all your stats go up. I'm like, oh yeah, I should probably do that. <laughs> yeah. And then like Hoplovictorum has kind of its own feel because you don't start with all your dice in that one. So you're recruiting them, but you need to recruit them pretty consistently to have a fighting chance. And then in all of them, you kind of need to get your recovery stat up. You know, like if you don't, you're just going to slowly die because you're using more dice than you're getting back. So th- there is like a little bit of sameness in the general scope of what you're doing from a broad sense. But at the same time, the positive of the progression in the game is that, first of all, it's still fun <laughs> and it's still yeah. like a tactical challenge to figure out, like, how can I get those level ups that I know I need? Like even in Too Many Bones, like, yeah, I want to flip to my innate plus one every game as early as I can. But how many dice am I going to spend trying to roll misses to slot them into my backup plan to make that happen? And will I kill myself trying to go for it too aggressively? Do I want to wait until a later fight when it might be a little bit easier? So there's still like interesting choices in it. And the other thing is I'd mentioned for the heroes, like they aren't always as varied as I would like. But the items and the ongoing items, especially that give you like little combo abilities and powers, those are awesome. Varied across the game systems, varied within each game system. 
And even if you have a character that's not exciting, even if, yes, I'm increasing my recovery and my strategy stat the same way I always do, I will still have cool tricks each time I play that'll be different from the next time I play. So it almost ends up being a pro for me. There's definitely a lot to like here. But yes, there is some repetition in like kind of the core uh, leveling up grind to go along with what you said, Peter. Although I will say those cool items, because they're the same for the game you're playing. Now, again, it might be at the top of the stack or the bottom of the stack. You might not see them all each game, but because you're pretty much getting the same items each game, I think that's what makes the characters less exciting because a lot of the cool powers you get are from those items themselves. So maybe that's why it felt a little repetitive playing the same game two, three, four times um, is because those items, while cool the first time you play it, you, you are getting the same ones. Again, not exactly the same ones every time, but you're seeing a lot of the same ones when you play. Yeah, I mean, I, I would push back on that a little bit. It's a pretty thick deck in each of these sets. And and you aren't always killing all the enemies. Like, all of them have enemies that you're avoiding and not fighting. Like, especially in Too Many Bones, like, I usually barely get down into, like, the level five enemies. So there's a ton that I'm not seeing each game. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I felt like some of them were similar. How about that? Sure. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, I mean, it's a simple enough game system. You can't have a billion different powers, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, So my number three is the minions, and we've covered a lot of this, so I'm not going to go too into uh, depth here. But basically, as you kill these minions, you're going to get a bonus for killing them. The minions also have cool special powers, which are not cool as you're playing because they do things to hurt you. Like they say, you might not be able to use purple to do damage to any minions while this one's in play. Now, as soon as you defeat it, you can start adding purple dice with those reroll turns. So if you defeat it in your first step of combat... Then you're adding more dice. Now maybe you add your purple dice in or whatever else. So it is kind of neat how the minion special abilities make you do different things for each combat. And usually it's even more neat when they add up, right? When you're adding two, three, four minions to the battle and they each have different special abilities. Now it's like, well, I can only use three dice and I can't use purples. All right, I got to kill this one first. So now I can use more than three dice and now I got to defeat this one so now i can start using purples so like the the strategy and the order you want to kill them it's it's kind of a neat puzzle for each different uh quick combat that you're doing and they each give you different things like some of them might let you recover dice some of them might give you plus to your recovery stat or one of your other stats some of them might give you a permanent bonus like mike was talking about where every time after you do a combat you recover a green and a yellow dice or something like that which makes you think differently as you're playing further down because now i'm certainly going to add a green and a yellow dice to most of my combats because i know i'm going to get them back automatically so the minions they do a lot of cool stuff on one card and it's not overly complicated it's basically an attack stat a life stat a special ability for them and then whatever bonus you get for defeating them So I think they do a lot with a little there. And so I'm actually a huge fan of what they do with their minion cards. Yep, uh, that's my number three, too. Uh, We don't usually have that much uh, similarity. Uh, The only thing I'll add, because I agree with everything Peter said, I think the minions are awesome. Uh, The only thing I'll add is that I really like, especially uh, this happens more in Victorum and uh, Too Many Bones, not quite as common in Solar Sentinels. But I love when you're fighting like two or three enemies at once. Because the interplay of their abilities can be really complicated. You get into kind of like a triage thing where you have to figure out like which enemy to kill first. Ooh, if I defeat that one, that'll turn off that ability. Now I can defeat this one. And then that turns off this ability. Now I can tackle that one and not get killed by them. So it really makes the tactical picture really super interesting and fun. Did you say you were going to say something new right after I said those exact words? Did you say that? Yes. I I, I might have zoned out. That happened. (laughs) I'm going to repeat 
what Peter said, because I want to emphasize it, because I like it so much, and Peter's a smart guy. And I, and I, I hang on every word he says on this podcast. I never, I never zone out and think about my job. <laughs> I'm yes. sorry. But yeah, sorry. Everything Peter said is right. <laughs> number two, number two. Moving on. Why, why don't you go ahead and do your number two first, right. so yeah. then I can repeat what you say. Yeah, that's right. Since, since I added nothing new to the conversation with that last point. <laughs> um, so my number two is uh, focusing on the modularity of the game system itself. Um, this is pretty much a pro for me. The one caveat is that I, I think my I think it's twenty dollars MSRP for each set. I believe that's what they had on the Kickstarter or whatever. I, I th- so I think that's what it might cost when it's in retail. But yeah, so the negative of this is that if you want to get you know too many bones, it's twenty dollars. If you want to get Hoplo Victorum, it's twenty dollars. I'm, I'm not saying that's a, a good or a bad price. I'm just saying like you are having to buy extra stuff. You are having to invest more. But that put aside, I really like the modularity. I think they feel very different. You get a ton of stuff. Like Peter said, it's not like, like I was playing Final Girl recently and that one has quite a bit you have to use from the core for each game you play, regardless of like which what your villain is, what your location is. This one, it's just the dice, this little chip that's used in a different way in each one and like referring to the rule book. That's all you need. And I think, uh, you know, I, I don't like all of them equally, but funnily enough, Peter likes some that I like a little bit less more. So I think it's going to be based on your taste. Not everyone's going to be a hit for everybody. But it is very fun to change from Solar Sentinels to Too Many Bones, from Too Many Bones to Hoplo Victorum. Some are longer, some are shorter. Some are more tactical, some are more strategic. So I think they're leveraging a pretty simple mechanical system, adding some really exciting kind of differences onto it. And it just makes it really fun to experiment. And yeah, I mean, clearly we got a review copy of this stuff. but. If if I if I needed to pay for the next sets, if they come out with three more sets, I would be in for fifty or sixty bucks for that easily because I I really enjoy this and I, I want to see like where else they could take this system. Yeah, and my number two is the dice pool manipulation, which honestly I wrote this list a long time ago, so I don't know exactly what I meant, but I'll I'll tell you what I think I meant by that, which is we you're not only again deciding which dice you're going to use for each combat and that is affected by minion powers things like that but you're also having to think long term strategically okay i'm going to attack this one even though he's going to cost me more dice because it's going to give me recover six dice or whatever or it's going to increase my recovery stat so you're really having to think before each combat even before you pull that minion down in front of you because you usually have an idea well depending on the game you have an idea which ones you are going to have in front of you. You're making these choices and you're deciding how many dice to use. And you can even choose to use no dice and use your life as a pool. Because if you fail to defeat minions, then those minions go away. You just don't get the bonuses and you have to lose life equal to how much damage. Well, they oh, that, that does depend on which game you're playing, but continue on otherwise. Yes. And again, everything is very much game dependent. Uh, And certainly when you get in the boss fight, that is no longer the case as well. But you're using your life as a resource. You're using the dice pool as a resource. And I do think, again, going back to the minions thing, every battle is a different puzzle. And even though at the end of the day, it for me, at least, it got a little bit samey after a while. I do like each of them individually. I think I just tired of them over and over, even though they are a little bit different puzzle each time. I think the the negative for me was that I just got tired of the puzzle after a while where it sounds like you, you uh, enjoyed it all the way through and uh, you didn't get, you didn't feel it as much repetition. Well, but also, I mean, I assume like me, you were playing it to review it. So you probably played it like 15 times over the course of like four days or something. Right. 
Yes. I, I think a more normal person who just has it in their game, like <laughs> their their solo game uh, rotation will, will not feel the same way we did, maybe with that. Well, I did burn out and it was mostly during Too Many Bones where I was just getting frustrated because I couldn't beat it. And I'm like, why are these characters so weak? So for me, I think that was part of it, too. I played like five or six games in a row. And I just could not beat the game. I'm like, why is this game so tough? I called you. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? You even offered to come over and watch me play just to figure out if I was doing something wrong. And then you're like, oh, do you flip over? I'm like, no. Oh, <laughs> I do that. But again, that was just that one set specifically. But I, I think that maybe because that was the second set I played, there was probably a little burnout when I got to Victorum as well. And I did not, you know, end up playing that one as much because again, even though each set feels different, you're basically doing the same things for the combat, no matter what set you're playing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the combat feels very different because like Solar Sentinels is almost always 1v1, but it's, they're much tougher. Too Many Bones is like this increasing kind of complexity and challenge. Victorum is kind of ebbing and flowing because of the mini bosses. But still, I, I, I don't disagree with your overall point. All right. So my number one, uh, totally unique. It's a, uh, I don't know what to call it. Maybe like the dice rolling manipulation. So, you know, Peter didn't say anything like this. So when like I just this. said dice pool manipulation? Yeah, yeah, like dice pool. That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. It's kind of like, you know, it's not just that you have to decide which dice to use, but you're also deciding like, you know, uh, how many do you want to like roll? And like, you know, how many times do you want to re-roll? Do you want to go for the crits or not go for... Yeah, so clearly Peter and I have the same idea. And this time I listened to him for number one. Uh, but I agree with everything Peter said, except I, I did not find as much... Uh, kind of uh, repetition feeling for me. The puzzle did stay consistently interesting, but I also switched which game I was playing every two or three plays. So I wouldn't like kind of run one of them into the ground necessarily. Uh, but yes, I, this is a full pro for me. I think the choices of how many dice to roll, when to re-roll them, do I go for the crit or not? Cause crits are such a like integral part of play and the items and the character powers kind of changing that up as well. I think it's excellent. Definitely the best thing about the game for me. Well, and I guess this is partially playstyle as well. And maybe I'll just get into this in my final thoughts, because my number one was variety, actually, ironically, <laughs> here, even though I said it felt samey to me after a while. Uh, so there is a lot of variety, though, because you have different packs. Again, you have three completely different games, and they do feel very different uh, as you're playing them. Each combat's the same, but the way you get to them and the puzzle you're trying to solve to get to the boss is very different between the games. Uh, you have multiple different villains per game. So even if you're playing the same game over and over, certainly, especially in the solo Sentinel, holy moly, those villains are definitely very different. Uh, by the time you get to them, uh, they, they feel very different and you have a little bit of manipulation over which villain you get to, because some of the things let you look at the top villain and then the next one's like, well, switch it for the next top villain. So you kind of have a choice of whether you want to fight those or not. It's like, oh, no, I got the villain I want up there. Now I'm just trying to get to that boss fight. Um, so, yeah, the villains definitely felt different. Um, and then the heroes. Again, there's some heroes feel different than others and some are more interesting than others. But they definitely give you different ways to play. And maybe, and, and I'll kind of roll this into my final thoughts, maybe that's why I felt less variety than you did. You know me, when I'm trying to learn a game, I want to stick to the same hero mm -hmm. over and over so I can learn the system. When I'm trying to figure out a system, I try to change as few variables as possible. So if I'm changing which game I'm playing, if I'm trying to fight against a different boss, if I'm doing whatever differently, I try to stick with the same hero. Now, when I'm reviewing something, I do try to try out multiple different heroes, but I will 
if I'm changing other things, I'll tend to keep the same hero. Or if I'm keeping the same hero, or if I'm keeping the same villain, then I'll change the hero I'm using. So I only try to change one or two variables per game just so I can get a different feel for it. And so maybe that's why it got a little repetitive for me. I do think playing the same hero against the same set um, is maybe where I saw a little bit of repetition. I like the game. I would certainly play it anytime. I don't think I do what I did again, which is play like 10 games in two days, as Mike was talking about. Uh, I think that's where it, it wore on me a little bit. And I'm sure any game I played that many times in that short amount of time might do that. So maybe that is coloring my view of it a little bit. But uh, I enjoyed it, but uh, it, it wasn't my it wasn't one of my favorite solo game of the year. That is for sure. But, you know, it was still good. I think it will be probably, at least at this point, it is definitely in my top games of the year. I would love to see more of this system. But I I don't know, Peter. I might like solo dice games more than you. Like, I'm a big fan of one deck uh, dungeon. Oh, yeah. I hated that game. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know. So, if, if you like those kind of things, like these tactical kind of, like, survival, roguelite-ish, uh, like, dice-based games, then maybe this will also float your boat. <laughs> it definitely floated mine. Uh, yeah, I, I think we both still enjoyed it, though. So it's definitely still worth checking out if you like dice games at all. I, it is random. You know, it's, it's it's all dice. So sometimes you roll badly and sometimes you don't. I mean, there's a lot of like there's a lot of rolls. So the luck is going to tend to balance out and you have a lot of choices in how you do things. But certainly you can do badly and die. Although, you know, somebody on our Discord said it well, Peter. They said uh, it seems like in 20 Strong, you're either going to die really quickly because you went for something stupid or you're probably going to make it to the final boss, maybe die there. That's been my experience. I don't know if it was yours. I mean, I definitely died on turn one. Yes, and I, I, I've died in my first or second battle. But I, I would call that a pro for this kind of like quick solo game. Because sure. you're either being able to set up again in like two minutes, you didn't really lose any time, or you're getting like a full kind of compelling experience. You don't. Ha- I didn't have very many plays where like I would play for half an hour and then just kind of die in the middle with no uh, exciting like kind of finish feel to it. Although I will say Solo Sentinels itself is only a half an hour for the whole game. That's true. That's that's a good point. Yeah. And not too many bones is not too much longer. Victorum is definitely the longest by, I would say, a good like 15, 20 minutes. And, but I like the puzzle in that one better. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think it is the most strategic and epic easily. Whereas Solar Sentinels, I think, is just like a fun, like, chuck some dice and kill some things game, you know? Yes. And and that is something. So when I go to variety, I mean, I complained about it a little bit, but the variety between the different games you're buying is probably the biggest variety for me they felt very different all three so i guess when when i was complaining about the variety it was within one of those games i didn't feel as much but again i wasn't changing my hero and the villain at the same time so maybe i would have felt more had i done it that way but definitely between the packs oh yeah they feel completely different even though you're doing a lot of the same things they really smartly change up how gameplay works And I know a lot of us are completionists. I mean, I'm not anymore, but that's been beaten out of me by the review lifestyle (laughs) and a billion games coming every day. Uh, But you don't have to buy all the sets. Like, just get Solar Sentinels. It's a really fun, quick game. And if you want something more epic and strategic, get Tablo Victorum. You know, like, make sure you like one thing before you buy the next one. Like, we're we're reviewing it as all, like, one whole, but they certainly stand alone, and the price is going to be way more affordable if you don't buy all of them, so... Why don't you quickly? Why don't you quickly go through what each one feels like to you, since you've played it more than me and more recently than me? Sure. Why don't you? 
Yeah, so uh, so Solar Sentinels is definitely like the just chew gum, like beer and pretzel, throw some dice, kill things game. Uh, it's almost always 1v1 fights, except when these uh, little skull icons, which you can avoid pretty consistently, come up. You have a really easy way to churn enemies and not have to fight them that frequently. You can kind of like uh, pick and choose your uh, upgrades more easily. Uh, so that one's like kind of the most straightforward, which is good because that's the one that at least I think how they've uh, packaged it, you always have to get because that's where you get the 20 dice and like the main rule book. Uh, so Solar Sentinels is great. Uh, Too Many Bones, it has more variety in the fights than the Solar Sentinels because you're fighting in, in Too Many Bones style, like one enemy, then two enemies, then three enemies, then four enemies, then one bigger enemy, then a big enemy and a small enemy. So there's a lot more like big group fights and the individual enemies are much weaker than solar sentinels. So that already gives it its own feel. Too many bones also has non combat encounters, which are a really interesting choice. So there's a lot more in solar sentinels. It's purely who am I going to fight next? That's literally like the only decision you're making. But, but I feel like you have more information on what fights coming up. Like, yeah, I'm picking who I'm fighting, but that is telling me, you know what I'm going to have to do for that combat. As oh, for well sure. As, for like, sure. Cause too many bones, yeah, too like many too bones, many bones, you can have you can have like two piles, so you can see like some information on who's coming. But later in the game, when you're drawing like five or six enemies, a lot of those are going to be like somewhat blind draws. So yes, uh, but again, I think like the the non combat thing is pretty unique to too many bones. Uh, they have this whole backup plan mechanic where misses actually can be helpful. And yeah, Peter, it's interesting. I had not played. Like the backup plan, I didn't use as much in some of my earlier plays of that. In the recording I did for Patreon. I used uh, Patches, whose backup plan ability is friggin' ridiculous, and I destroyed with the backup plan. I was like, man, so uh, I kind of gained more respect for Too Many Bones uh, after that because the backup plan mechanic can be very exciting based on which character you're playing. Some of them aren't that good, though, so that's like the kind of complaint there. And then, yeah, Victorum is like this very strategic, like epic, wide-ranging kind of crazy thing because you're moving all around this like pyramid you're you're fighting these mini boss battles that it could be extremely challenging you're making really tough choices of who to battle but like the people you battle are actively in uh leveling up the final boss you gotta fight you're trying to like recruit dice again you don't have all your dice so certainly that is the crunchiest one by i would say a pretty wide margin which is why i think it's peter's favorite and uh i think it might be my second favorite i still love just the quick rough and tumble solar sentinels play for this kind of game that's my least favorite right which is interesting so yeah i think they're all good i think they're all fun but yeah anyway we should probably stop peter and get to the design discussion because we're going to run out of time here yes all right so let's talk about our design discussion which is you know this is something kind of new it used to be you'd buy a base game and then years later you might get an expansion if you were lucky or maybe they put out an expansion to fix the game but final girl i think has gone to the most extreme example where you literally can buy a core set that has no playable game in it. (laughs) Yes. Right. You're just getting like the basics you need to play. And then you buy whichever like chapter pack you want. And in order to play the game, but if you just buy the chapter packs on their own, they don't do any good. You just buy the core set on their own. doesn't do any good. This one's a little step above that because you do get basically one chapter pack that you're forced to buy. So it's kind of like a core set with the dice, But then each game uses basically just bare minimum components from the base game and goes on from there. So there are different pros and cons. And then sometimes you get games where you're buying each expansion is like a fully standalone playable game. I guess Sentinels, no, not Sentinels of Multiverse. What's the um, Aeon's End is an example of that, where you got a bunch of just core sets where you go from there. 
So there's a lot of different ways to do this, and they each have their own pros and cons. So, Mike, do you want to talk about one of those and what you think some pros and cons are? Well, yeah, let's, uh, I think for comparison's sake, let's talk about the traditional, what I would call the traditional model first, right? Which is base game, expansion later, or expansion right away. I mean, we know with crowdfunding now, you get 18 expansions <laughs> when the game shifts. Well, that's, that's the new one, right? And that's where 20 Strong comes in. Well, no, no. So, so let me explain what I mean, though. Like, yeah. wh- whether you're getting all the expansions at once or not, that is still a different thing than 20 Strong. It's still a different thing than Final Girl, where you've got kind of like this this core and like little modular add-ons. In the traditional sense, you know, we, we know that, we know why publishers don't love traditional expansions, because it, it continually limits your player base, right? And like who you're going to sell the game to. If, yeah. if I sell a thousand copies of my game, hey, I did okay. You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a success. And then if I sell an expansion, you need to own the first game. I'm just adding some like new stuff, usually to complicate it more, usually to like add like more uh, new bells and whistles that might excite current players of the game. Maybe now I only sell 700 and then I do another expansion. Maybe I only sell 400. At some point, it's not worth it for me to make the expansions anymore. So that's like, I think, kind of the main conundrum of the traditional model. So then we get the standalone model. How do you feel about standalones, Peter? Because I know I got some strong feelings. Well, let me go back to the original point and some of the pros of it as well. So the pros of the original one is those expansions are a lot cheaper for the players to buy into, right? You're paying 50 bucks for the main game, but then you're paying $20 for an expansion, something like that. You're not paying close to what you paid for the core game. So for players, it's good. Although again, you always have to buy that main core set, which is means that even if you don't like, let's say Marvel champions, you don't like the six heroes or the villains in or whatever else, you still have to buy those to get in and play the rest of the game. So that's some pros and cons for that traditional model. Now, what was the one you were asking me to cover? Oh, uh, standalone, I thought was the next one to like touch on. Yeah, so standalone, the the big con for standalone is that you're going to have to pay for repeat components. So if I'm buying a standalone game that's also an expansion, so I could use it in conjunction with my other game, I still have to rebuy all the tokens. I still have to rebuy more main boards. I still have to rebuy the decks of cards with items or whatever else. And there might be some repeats in there as well. So there's a lot of the the benefit for players and publishers is they could buy any of your products, right? And, And you could jump in at any point, you can get whatever you want and just play that one thing. But the con is for people who like the game and want to expand what they already have. Now they're buying a lot of repeat stuff that they're never going to use. And so there's a lot of wasted product in that. Plus you're paying full price for each release. So in the other model, it's $50 and then $20 for an expansion. In this model, it's $50 for the first game. Then if you want to buy another one, it's $50 as well. And half that stuff you're not going to be able to use. So that is the both the pros and the cons. I think it's better for new players to have standalone expansions, but I think it's worse for existing players. Yeah, and th- that's my big problem with uh, standalone sets. And it's 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 very common, like you said, Aeon's End, like most of them are standalone. Uh, the new releases of Sentinels of the Multiverse, one of my favorite games, those are all standalone. It's it's great. Like, it's cool that with Aeon's End, like I, I much prefer the new Expedition mode to like the original core game. Or with Astronites, you know, the other Aeon's End game. Um, I think, like, the new stuff they have in uh, Astronites is cooler than the original. So it's nice to be able to tell people, hey, start here instead of there. But 
it still just kind of sucks. <laughs> like, yeah, it, you know, games are already an environmental uh, drain on the planet, like all this cardboard and plastic and all that. And then like having to, you know, just have all these extra components that are worthless and you can throw away or trash or just keep in the box because you feel bad throwing them away. That's not my favorite. Yeah, like you said, the price is higher because the components are more. I, I don't know. Standalone is maybe my my least favorite of all the options. Although, again, I can see why it can be positive because, you know, it's, it's not really costing the publisher that much more to, like, add an extra 20 cards again to the box that they already have made and they already have graphic designed. They're just printing a few more for a couple pennies and throwing them in there. But, yeah, for the player side, I think it's it's kind of a net loss, even though it does give you more flexibility in how you buy into a system. I respect that, but I don't love that. But getting to what we like, kind of the main impetus for this uh, discussion, I, I'm not sure how I feel about this different model, this Final Girl, uh, 20 Strong. I'm not sure who else does this. I, I will say I like how 20 Strong did it better than Final Girl. Because like you said, Final Girl, like you buy the core and literally it's nothing, you know? Right. <laughs> like you cannot play a game. It's like, hey, here's some stuff. And I don't know. There's positives to Final Like I just played Final Girl the other day. In fact, uh, the as of this recording, we're recording on Friday, I put up uh, today a Krampus video of like the new uh, uh, Christmas themed set that's coming out. And it was very nice. That I went, even though I have a ton of Final Girl stuff, like boxes of Final Girl stuff, tons of it. I just grabbed my core. I grabbed Krampus. I'm good to go. Very small form factor. Very portable. Very easy to like bring around with me. I have to go digging through like 20 boxes to find all the stuff for it. Like I, I appreciate that. But I got to say, and I, I love Van Ryder, one of our favorite publishers. They publish our first game. I love uh, Chip Theory. <laughs> it does sometimes feel with these kind of packaging that like as much as standalone is kind of charging you extra, like separating things so much into like these small modules is charging you even more. Like I love, I, I think the 20 strong decks are sizable. They have a lot of cards in them and they're very nice foil printed plastic cards, but still it's a deck of cards for $20, you know, and that's, that's a little pricey, not like crazy, crazily so, but a little pricey. And then, like, uh, Final Girl, I think, is $20 to $30 for each set. And, like, they're a nice size box, but there's not that much stuff in them. Well, but the box themselves is magnetized, and it's got the board on it. Well, and- right. And, well, and I, I guess that's a totally different, like, do they need to do all of that? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that, that is a That is a totally different conversation. You're right. You're right. I guess the other one that does this is, uh, and they do a little bit of, oh, no, no, everything's standalone. And uh, I was going to say, it's not a co-op game, but it's the co-op expansions coming out, which is um, restoration games unmatched. Yeah. Wait, that that's all standalone, isn't it? Everything is standalone yeah, yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. So you don't need anything. And you get the, the thing that made me think of it is the different boards you get. And I do think it is nice having different boards. Yes. Like, like it adds to variety without changing much of the core gameplay. And it, you know, it just gives you a little bit, of a different thing, but getting back to 20 strong. And I think for me, and I love Van Ryder, you said all the things like for the same reason, AJ's a great guy, but I don't love the system because it's confusing. Like, like I don't, I can't ever see that being in retail without them combining the core set with one of those standalone expansions. Cause if I walked into a store and I bought something called the core set and I <laughs> could not play the game, I would be furious. Right. Right. 
In fact, I think I, I, I seem to remember, I think in retail, they do literally do what you're saying. I think they have the core set bundled with uh, like the basic Friday the 13th Hans uh, set. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. And that's fine. I, I think that's the smart way to do it. That's the way 20 Strong's doing it. It doesn't bother me because there's not a lot of wasted overlap. And I don't mind paying the $20 for the deck of cards because there is a lot of design work that went into them, even though, you know, it's just a deck of cards or whatever. There's a lot of design work, at least for 20 strong, that goes into each different scenario. They play very differently from each other. No, you're right. You're right. I, I like how 20 strong is doing it quite a bit better than Final Girl, even though I, I like both those games very much. I'm not saying don't play either of them, but I, I think uh, the way 20 strong, it is way less wasteful. Like literally, you use almost nothing except the dice, and then everything you need for the game is in that like box that you bought for that set. Yeah, but the benefit here is players can buy in wherever they want. So it's got the advantage of the standalone game, right? Where you can buy in wherever you want. Now, again, 20 Strong is a little different because you do get stuck with, quote unquote, solo Sentinels when you buy it. But Final Girl, you can literally buy a core set and whichever expansion you want and just play that. If you have no interest in anything else and you're not paying for a new core set to buy more stuff when you... So so it works for both players. I guess that's the huge advantage. That's a smart thing that Van Ryder did there. Um, and again, if you're buying it online from their store, they can be very specific. Look, you bought a product that can't play it all by itself. You need something else to go with it. So I do think it's smart and it's the least wasteful of these systems if you want people to have the flexibility to buy in wherever they want. So there's a huge advantage there. I just think it's more complicated for the consumer if they are going in blind. Yeah, good call. All right, so I think uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope we've cleared up any confusion about who is where in co-op dumb. (laughs) And, you know, thanks for sticking with the podcast. Go check out uh, the co-op guild with Steve and Kim. Go check out Meet Me at the Table with Berndt and Colin. And if you aren't already checking it out, go check out uh, the main or the only one-stop co-op shop YouTube channel, uh, the original, (laughs) with uh, me and Jason and sometimes Peter. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I have expansions in my house named Nick and Allison. (laughs) Your children are expansions. That's that's a horrific way to think of them. Are they standalone? They are standalone. (laughs)